1: Find myself for three years losing a couple hundred thousand dollars you know I was looking at where I was and seeing a lot of the money that I'd made early on in my career start to slip away and then you start to make decisions and you wonder you know do I need to cut back with what I'm spending but then you're running the risk of not being as professional because you don't have that sort of daily commitment of people who are on you and that's when a lot of the self-doubt starts to come and creep in because you don't you don't really know where you're at or where you can be and what the future holds.
0: Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel, tennis podcast beyond the baseline. Today's guest, Ryan Harrison, fresh from winning his first ATP title that came in Memphis over the weekend. He now is a career-high ranking, number 43. And if you look at his points to defend, there ain't much. So that number threatens to get uh, ever higher. Ryan uh, talks a bit about his career, of course, broke through as a teenager, had a couple of rough years in the middle, and now in his mid-20s seems to have found traction again. Always uh, one of the more analytical players, good guy to talk to. Uh, We talk a bit about the, the rise and fall and rise of his career. We talk about his relationship with his father, some of the emotional outbursts that he, like so many players, endure on the court, no matter how Different that is from their off-court personality. Good, wide-ranging conversation. Uh, always good to uh, talk shop with Ryan Harrison. Of course, we're catching him at uh, the high point of his career. So uh, let's bring him in from Austin, Texas. Ryan Harris, how uh, how awesome. you doing?
1: Doing great, man. It's been a fun week. I can't believe it. Really, it's a little surreal.
0: Yeah, let's let's start there. We're catching you hours, like like mere hours after your first title in Memphis. Congrats on that. Um, Thank you. You know, I, I got a question for you. When when you won on Sunday um, over Twitter, people were saying, well, you know, take Ryan Harrison off the board. He's won his first title now. How conscious mm-hmm. How conscious are you and how conscious of players um, to the fact that they may or may not have won a career title? I mean, how, how big a milestone is this for you?
1: Well, I mean, obviously it's something I've wanted to achieve my whole career, but having never made a final, I, I didn't really have the, you know, I haven't won one sort of jitters or mental block. Um Actually, that middle block was more for me in the semifinals because I lost in seven consecutive semifinals or something like that. So once I got through the semis, that sort of uh, pressure was off, but there was the whole pressure about playing in your first final and wanting to win after that.
0: It felt different? You were, you were nervous going out there even after the semis?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there was, I don't know, 10 or 12 times before the match that you start thinking about it and kind of playing it out in your head and then starting to think, what if I win? And all the people that you know will be following and watching and supporting. And you get a little emotional starting to think about it and how awesome it would be and how much you want it. But then you start trying to get back in the moment and get back in your preparation because it certainly won't happen if you're not ready to play.
0: Do you know the players out there that that haven't haven't won titles? I mean, if I if I give you a name, do you know? Oh yeah, he won Mets in 2013. Uh, I mean, do people I'm pretty know good him?
1: about knowing most of it. I mean, I think that there's one player who's probably the most historic player and one of the best players who's never won a title that people know about. But uh, I know that there's a few guys who are really good players that haven't won titles before. Is he French? He's French and got a great backhand. <laughs>
0: it's just, I'll, I'll be the bad guy. We're, we're talking about Julian yeah. ben, bento right
1: yeah he's made quite a few finals too I mean he's I think it rather than it being a kind of a knock on him not winning a title I think it's a testament to how great the rest of his career has been because he's truly a fantastic player
0: yeah that, that's a good point people were saying to me they said I said well who's the best player not to have won a title now and people mm-hmm. were saying like oh it's it's Taylor Fritz and I'm like Taylor Fritz he's like a teenager and then you realize that it's, it's probably as much a function of how highly people regard you as a player than, mm-hmm. uh, than, than anything about your shortcomings. But um,
1: Yeah, well, tennis the tennis world is kind of always uh, what's happened lately sort of atmosphere, so I'm sure people remember how well Fitz has been playing over the last little while, but Benito being in his 30s now and having an amazing career for most of the last decade, um, I would put him in the top category there.
0: Did you learn that the hard way?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I talked about it a little bit post-match, um, but, you know, when you come on the scene early like I did and, you know, some of these guys like Taylor and Francis and Riley and Michael Moe and a lot of these guys, Jared Donaldson, have, um, you know, you're always going to reach some sort of plateau at some point in time, whether that happens when you're 100 or 70 or 50. It's just hard to be on a, you know, one-way stri- straight Thing um, one way straight path up. You're gonna have some sort of setbacks, but um, for me, I just didn't handle a setback as well as I could have. Um, it took me a little longer to figure it out, but I guess that's why I, I'm fortunate. I got a good jump on it because now I'm still 24 and, and have some room to work up.
0: We keep saying this. There, there was an announcement today that uh, Federer had committed to Basel today through 2019. So when mm-hmm. you can when you can play into your deep into your 30s, um, you know you're, you're probably less upset when you're 21, 22, and, and you hit those rough patches. What, what do you mean when you say you didn't handle as well as you could have?
1: You know, for me, when I hit that first plateau, and every point in my career had always been uh, going up from, you know, the junior days when you're getting older and bigger and faster and stronger, you're always improving. And then you start the, uh, the professional tour on the futures and challenges, and you kind of work your way up each sort of step along the way. And then uh, – you know, when everything's new, you're not feeling a whole lot of pressure because you're just kind of swinging out and playing your game and not really dealing with so much uh, pressure on yourself, really, because everything's just looking up. But uh, when I hit that first sort of setback when I got to 40 in the world, and then the previous summer where I had played into, I guess, the semifinals and. Uh, Couple later rounds in the U.S. Open Series, and then my ranking went from 45 or so on down to 60, and then 80. Um, rather than just a calming sort of keep working feeling around me, I, I had some panic, and that sort of led to a lack of emotional control, and and all of that sort of pressure and that expectation that I was putting on myself was one of the things that led to me not being able to control my emotions out there. Um, I don't think it was ever a talent thing. I think that I have the ability to, to keep moving forward and to keep going on up from here. So the emotional side of things was definitely what led to the way that things played out for a while.
0: I, I was going to ease into this, but uh, but you went there, so let's, let's stay there. Um, mm-hmm. gi- give us a sense. I mean, w- one of the reasons that um, I- I've always enjoyed talking to you is you have a real sort of analytical, rational approach to uh, – to tennis i mean i don't i don't mm-hmm. do you sit there on tennis channel or in the interview you're, you're not you don't come across as an emotional guy you come across as a thoughtful guy who's really get given a lot of uh of time and attention to this it's it's for all in the third set i mean what what is the conversation you're having in your head when you're not buoyant with confidence
1: well when you're not confident you're, you're thinking about all the negative things what's uh the implications of losing i don't want to miss this forehand i really hope i make a first serve um all the things like that that go through your head and then whenever you're in a rut and it's really been a lot of uh negative matches in a row then you kind of do the here we go again sort of thing where you think that you're you know even though you're tied in the score it feels like you're at a 20 percent chance to win the match because of how many you know lack of successful attempts you've had in recent months or recent years but uh as things kind of turned around, you know those those thoughts start turning into more positive thoughts. Um, okay I, I'm, I'm down 1540 here but I can hit a I can hit a big serve here you know if I if I go here I should get this response and then I'll uh, I'll be playing aggressively with my forehand and you start to think proactively in, in a positive train of thought.
0: Is there a way to turn that around inorganically? I mean, the obvious solution well, is you know, uh, win, win matches, right? But uh... yeah,
1: win matches. But you know, for me, I had to hit rock bottom and just kind of decide if I even wanted to continue playing in 2016. Um, after Wimbledon, I was telling everybody around me that I needed needed a break. It just it had been too many years and too many matches and tournaments in a row where it wasn't just that I was losing; it was just that I was coming off the court after losing and feeling like I hadn't gotten any better with each match and tournament. I wasn't getting closer to my dreams. If anything, I was getting farther away. And um, the negative feeling was so overwhelming that I felt like, you know, I was underachieving every time I stepped on the court. Um, That's not a good feeling. For as much as I love tennis, for as much as you love anything, if you feel like you're kind of failing day in and day out, it's it's hard, you know, especially – when you have a persistent mindset like mine and you just tell yourself for the better part of three years that it's going to continue to turn around if you stay, if you stay aggressive or stay, um, disciplined with your work ethic. But for me, I couldn't change my mind in the way that I was, uh, thinking out there. And that never allowed me to free up.
0: I I can imagine, uh, your success this year. I mean, just, to, to level set you start, started outside the top 100 now you're at uh 43 and you're not defending much i mean mm-hmm. imagine your success this year is all the more gratifying given where you've been
1: yeah definitely i mean that's kind of why it's been so special and why i was so overwhelmed with emotions um just to think that i've turned it around and kind of gotten things going the way it, it's been going the last six or seven months has been so special um I'm so appreciative for all the people around me who kind of gave me that little push and always have given me that sort of confidence, even when I didn't really see it myself. Um, You know, the last, uh, I remember, I remember joking around last summer after I lost at Wimbledon going, all right, well, when does football season start? I've always been able to throw a good football. Maybe they'll let me play at college somewhere, but in a half joking way, you know, you don't really want to ever be saying that sort of thing as a, as a professional athlete, because, uh, kind of means you've lost a little bit of belief in yourself and when i was saying that to family and friends i had so many people around me who were quickly able to snap me back into the persistent resilient mindset that's always been my mo so i'm just really lucky to have those people around me
0: i I don't know if it's it's the the lack of a guaranteed contract or the fact that you know everybody but one person is leaving a tournament on a losing streak but I, i feel like you don't have that in other sports i don't think there are a lot of Baseball players that go through a slump, and they may be upset, and they may be looking to change their routine, but I don't think too many of them are saying, uh, boy, I wonder if being an electrician wasn't the way to go. I mean, I don't think you have these existential <laughs> issues in, uh, in too many other sports.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, for me, as well as I did at a young age, I was um, fortunate to make some money early on in my career, but then whenever you spend three years playing predominantly at the Challenger level... And you're still trying to make the commitment from a coaching and training standpoint of someone who's on the tour, which means I'm paying out a couple hundred thousand dollars in salaries to staff and coaches and training and therapy every year. Well, I find myself for three years losing a couple hundred thousand dollars. Now, that doesn't happen to everybody on the Challenger Tour because not everybody travels with a coach every week or a physio and that sort of thing, but... You know, I was looking at uh, at where I was and seeing a lot of the money that I'd made early on in my career start to slip away, and then uh, you start to make decisions and wonder, you know, do I need to cut back with what I'm spending? But then you're running the risk of not being as professional because you don't have that sort of daily uh, commitment of people who are on you, and that's when a lot of the self doubt starts to creep in because you don't you don't really know where you're at or where you can be and um what the future holds
0: where, where are you with your staffing one reason one reason i asked you that is because according to wikipedia you're currently being coached by brad gilbert um <laughs> but uh and, and Jay Berger. but um i mean i think that's a really interesting point that on the one hand you may want to cut some corners but at the same time it's it's your career you don't want to go out there with you know feeling as though uh you you didn't do everything in your power to win and succeed but where yeah, where are you with staffing? A, that's a big struggle This balance, you mean, between do Mm -hmm. I really need to fly first class and have a physio with me?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of guys, especially on the challenger circuit, deal with that sort of thing because you don't know how much you're going to make each week because the first-round prize money is like $800, but if you lose first round and you spent a grand to get there, well, you're in the red. So that's um, not a good feeling, especially as you start to pile on coaches' fees and coaches' hotels and all of those things, but you know that when you're at the challengers and you're trying to develop into becoming a tour player, but all the tour players already have that sort of day-in, day-out commitment, it's especially hard because you're dealing with uh, yourself playing a lesser level and having less resources, and uh, that's that's where it makes it tough. But for my personal situation, um, you know, my dad's always been someone who's been involved Um Frankly speaking, in recent years, I guess in the last year or so, we've started to been able to figure out the dynamic in which he can best help me, because right. there was times where his personality being almost identical to mine, even though we both had the best intentions, we weren't able to cooperatively work together. So the recent years have seen us uh, start to develop into figuring it out more, and the last seven or eight months have really been as good as it could have gone. Um, I've got... Peter Lucassen who's part-time with the USTA, who helps me out on the traveling side. Um, Peter doesn't do every single week, so we also hired David Sanguinetti, who is uh, a former player and someone who can kind of bring a lot of experience to the team and, and be involved as much as possible. But, uh, you know, my dad is not someone who travels full time. He travels with my brother when my brother's playing and I get to see him a little bit, but not every week. So uh, my traveling team consists of David and Peter.
0: Gotcha. And we, we should add your, your dad has a background in tennis and yeah play, played at a high level. And I think he had, he had some points, didn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he played on the HB Tour. Um, you know, he could have, I'm sure he should have gotten a lot higher than his ranking reflects because he didn't really have the luxury of a whole lot of financial uh, support after college. So he played some satellites and things like that. But he's, uh, you know, he's always been a high-performance coach. He works at uh, IMG Voluntary. He works with the top group of guys and girls there. Um, he works a lot with Heather Watson. and yeah. he coaches Madison Bringle. Um, you know, Bringle had that huge win over Serena in Auckland and she was there alone, but the person who was putting the day in and day out work with her in uh, in the off season was my dad, you know, feeding her balls every day. So he's definitely, um, behind the scenes worked with tons of players and numerous different players who have gone through the Academy have always, uh, talked and spoken so highly of my dad so that's not just me i mean i can i can tell you all the things he's done for me but everybody knows that he's always been willing to give and give and give to anybody really who comes through there
0: i love this line. i I gotta find it real quick but i I love a line on your dad that that at one point was on your bio that uh at, at age 11 ryan entered the shreveport city championships and reached the final where he lost to his dad
1: yeah, it was D- Details. was put a beat down on me. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: he's got an 11-year-old son yeah. on the other side of the net, and he's, uh, what was, remember the score?
1: 6-1, uh, 6-3, six, six, or, yeah, something All like right, that. Okay. he G- gave you a couple he, games. Put a, he put a beating on me pretty good.
0: There's a lesson to be learned, son.
1: Yeah, well, he was uh, not going to let me win that in front of hundreds of people. <laughs> you know, it, it would have been nice to have... Uh, me win that match, but I know that uh, for him, having me reach the finals and lose to him was about as good as it could have gone.
0: No, I was just I was just thinking the Shre- Shreveport's. Uh, that's not terribly far from Memphis. Did you have a you have a big crew there?
1: Yeah, big crew came up. We had probably twenty or thirty family and close friends that drove in um it meant a lot to have them there because these were the people who saw me at eight nine ten years old you know out there putting in the work that probably looked a little bit insane from a nine-year-old at that time but um it all has kind of worked into who I am today but I'm fortunate because I've always been someone who loves tennis so spending a lot of time on the court was never uh stressful you know it's always been really really fun especially at a young age i would say the most stressful time were probably those years where i had setbacks but certainly at a young age you never had to drag me to the court so i was always ready to go
0: can can we go back to the on-court emotion because i think anyone that's listened this far and and hears you again talk thoughtfully and rationally um might have a hard time reconciling that with some of the uh some of the emotion on the court right so even this this is going to sound harsher than i mean it to but uh uh-huh. A, the, the quick Google search: Ryan Harrison throws racket into tree. Ryan Harrison tells father to leave. That that is not the person I'm talking to. And we talked about this with, with Murray yelling at his box, and we we've talked about it years ago with Andy Roddick. I mean, can you kind of take us through what goes on from an emotional standpoint, where you're maybe emoting on a court in a way that's totally at odds, at variance with how you are when you're sitting down and t- talking to me up by phone. I mean, what, what what's going yeah, on? Um,
1: i'm getting better at that i mean i think that most people who um are adults can look back at the time that they were 20 21 22 and really hope that none of the cameras were around to film them every time they were you know doing this that and the other so for me just the spotlight was there whenever i was making some mistakes in life that everyone had made um I think that anyone can look back at those years of their life and said wow if there had been a camera on at that moment i probably wouldn't have got the best representation of who i feel like i am as a person um and then the instance with my dad you know it's not coming from us uh resenting each other or anything we just uh both have a really fiery personality where we both um it killed us both to have me not playing the level that i was and so with us both being proactive fiery type people Um, And not having a clear-cut plan with each other to figure out how we were going to get there sometimes in the middle of matches um, we would be at odds on the way to fix it and uh, That would be magnified when cameras are on so things could get a little a little tough and tricky in those moments But as I've gotten older, you know, you start to understand how you want to go about the process of getting to where you want to go like I talk about before turning it around from rock bottom, you have an appreciation for those who are really always there for you. And, um, now, you know, all those emotions coming together at the end of Memphis, you know, if you spend your entire life dreaming of something and then you feel like it's within reach and then it's all of a sudden not whenever it finally feels like it is again, it's a really overwhelming moment.
0: You want to hear my theory on this? Yes, sir. Tell Tell me what you think of this. That, that, when all of us are in these states of arousal, I don't i don't mean sexual arousal, but it, it could be anger. It could be a guy cutting us off in traffic. Um, you know, when you're in competition and it's a one-on-one sport, you have this, like, turbo level of arousal. And that really changes our decision-making processes. And that most of us can't, can't imagine. I mean, we, we get cut off or our kids get tripped in a soccer game and we're ready to fight the guy. What tennis players go through in an individual sport is, is that to an exponential level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's no hiding either because you're you know, you're out there the entire time with the camera on you. You know, if a baseball player strikes out, he can go into the dugout and destroy the water jug. You know, if a football player throws an interception, he can walk over there and have a moment where nobody's really looking at him. He can kind of blow off some steam and with tennis, everything you do or say, I mean, you can't, you can't even lip, lip or mouth any bad word now without the camera picking it up. It's, uh, it's truly a different sort of sport in that sense. But, um, you know, that's what makes it so hard to get to the top and stay at the top because it's, uh, it's really, really a tough road.
0: Tell me about your uh, your match preparation. That Obviously, you've got a, a day in between at, at Slams, at Memphis. You, you didn't have that luxury much. You, you walk off the court, you win your match, you get a court time, you're going to be playing the third on tomorrow or you're playing the first night session tomorrow. What goes on in that 18-hour that interval? What, what are you doing from one round to the next?
1: Well, the first thing you do is you take care of your body from the uh, previous, you know, round that you just played. You have to make sure that your body's recovered. So, I personally like to stretch in a hot tub if it's available, just because I stiffen up pretty quickly. So, when I get in the hot tub, it it loosens me up. So, I would usually bring in two or three waters or Gatorades, and then I get in the hot tub and I kind of relax and I stretch out in there for a while because uh, just makes me feel like maybe I'm a little more limber than I. Uh, would be if i wasn't in there and then after that i jump in the shower i grab some food and then i go straight to the training room where usually they do some work on my shoulder or low back because those are kind of a couple other areas of uh hot spots whenever you're playing uh, a lot of matches so after that it, rest is entr- extremely important you have to make sure you get enough sleep um, if you're playing the night match it's nice to get a nap in the next day And, um, on the court, you know, it needs to be short, but intense. It has to be, uh, something that gets you sweating and gets you going for me, but not something that is going to exhaust you.
0: What what do you mean by that? You're you're talking about the, the matches, the sort of Uh, pre-match just to hit
1: as far as like the warm up and the, the hitting, you know, if you, if you warm up for the match rather than hitting for an hour or something like that, I usually hit from 20 to 30 minutes, um, to get warmed up, but it's pretty, pretty physical.
0: I was at IMG maybe, I guess it was late, late 2015, and uh, got to meet your brother and spent some time with him. He was uh, think he was playing with Michael Moe that day. Um, lo- lovely, lovely guy. H- how's he doing, and what is the dynamic of, uh, we-, we talked about this with the Devera brothers, and obviously Venus and Serena are the, the standard bears, but what's it like to uh, have a sibling in the same line of work?
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, Christian is someone who is a hard worker. He's been through a lot of setbacks with numerous injuries, but for him to qualify at the U S open this year was incredible. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting that to happen and he might've even surprised himself a little bit. And after all the emotions that he's been um, through trying to figure out if he was ever going to get to play again, just from a health standpoint, for him to qualify for a slam, um, I'm sure it felt like he won it at the time, but, uh, for him now, it, it's a matter of trying to maintain a, a consistency. Um, you know, every tournament that you play is not a grand slam and you want to have a consistent sort of level week in and week out, and that also requires good health. Um, he's been trying to find the balance of therapy and how much to play and how much to practice. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he's a 100% there yet with knowing exactly how much his body can take and how much he can play without his body feeling a little overworked. Um, slowly he's getting there you know he's getting older and more mature and starting to realize what uh the best recipe is for himself but i think that we're lucky to have each other in the sport we can support each other in tough times and you know he's always been someone who's been very supportive of me and i do absolutely anything for him too
0: your sister plays as well
1: sister plays at mississippi state university she's uh, a junior and i can't believe she's a junior it's crazy for me to say but uh We've got a whole tennis family. She was one super tiebreaker away from being an all-American last year, which uh, sadly didn't go her way. But she's got a good chance, and hopefully, we'll pull that off this year.
0: And she gets to go to college. Um, and she gets good, to go to college. She's telling so much. That's that's good living. Um, everything personal life. Everything else. Uh, everything else good with you.
1: Yeah, everything's great. Uh, Lauren just ran over to grab us some breakfast right around the corner at Einstein's Bagels, so she's bringing us some breakfast. We're packing up and getting ready to go to Acapulco tonight. Um, You know, obviously the wedding's coming up, and I'm so happy and so lucky to be marrying her. She's a great girl, and I love her to death. And uh, you know, the support's been there throughout. You know, (laughs) we've been dating for four years, and like we've talked about, a lot of the four years haven't been up points of my career, but. I can honestly say that I never reached a point of like truly life depression. You know, I've been able to have that love and support around me my whole career. And it starts with her and with my family and friends. Uh, you know, I I've been able to in, enjoy my life despite some of the setbacks that have happened on the tennis court.
0: I'll give you another point in favor of your fiance. She's a very nice writer. <laughs> She's a great writer.
1: She is. She's a journalism major at UNC and does a great job. Uh, She's currently been writing out all of our thank you cards for the wedding yeah. gifts that have been coming in. So I get to see yeah. it every day right now. And uh, I don't know if she wants me to help. My, uh, my lack of college education might not be quite up to par with her journalism major. Let her take care of that.
0: What, um, is, are you, have you figured out sort of how that's going to work in terms of travel?
1: Well, she's very fortunate to have a job that allows her to travel and and still work. Um, It probably amounts to three or four months a year that she ends up working. Um, You know, Channel 7, the Australian network that covers the Australian Open every year three or four years ago, uh, hired her as a production assistant. And, you know, I've known Todd Woodbridge a long time, and I can't thank him enough for what he did for our uh, soon-to-be family and marriage because – the job opportunity that he gave her and got her with channel seven allowed her to work on the road while also being at tournaments that I was playing. So our relationship dynamic was able to play out where, um, you know, she wasn't just traveling, reading a book all day while I was practicing. She has three or four months a year where she works and does sort of production stuff in TV networks. And then she's picked up some, um, you know, other freelance jobs that are on the road, but She only works on the road right now. She has some gigs in Austin that will work if uh, there's an event going on here. She worked the X Games or some random baseball games here. But most of the time, it's on the road traveling where we're at.
0: Austin is your – Austin's the base, though?
1: Austin's the base, yeah. Austin's home.
0: Do you agree with me that Torchy's Tacos is superior to any barbecue in town?
1: Torchies tacos is amazing. We were talking about Torchies this morning, actually, but uh, we're hopefully going to try and stay healthy.
0: I'm telling you that that's not just like a touristy thing for people like me. Like people in Austin recognize how good that place is, right?
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure we have Torchies in our trash can right now from <laughs> <surface> yesterday <laughs> right. morning, so I think it's in there.
0: <laughs> Enough said, um, "You're off to uh, you're off to Acapulco, and then just picking it back up, and you'll be in the desert, and you'll be in." Miami and these are just kind of the rhythms of your life now
1: yeah absolutely and it's you know it's a lot of fun I mean when you're playing well um it doesn't feel like traveling is stressful anymore you're just uh kind of getting there and going week to week and hoping it uh continues and you know like I talked about a little bit earlier I'm not putting a whole lot of pressure on myself now and especially after winning the title I don't want to raise this crazy expectation um my goal for the year is the same as it's been since I started the year, which is basically um, I wanted to play every single week this week, this year, um, whether it was 25 weeks of tournaments or 26 or however many ended up being. And I wanted to feel like every single week that I left it all out there and got better. Um, that's my goal. Um, results are going to kind of come and go, so I'm hoping that they keep coming. But uh, either way, I'll be improving.
0: I got, I got two more for you. you. You know what always interests me about these conversations is that they don't really go to accuracy and power hitting the ball, right? It's it's not about statistics, it's not about raising my I mean, this this sounds like this conversation and, and others I've had with other players. They're so much about self-realization and confidence and rhythm and vibe and optimism. It it doesn't really come down to a conversation about hitting spots with serves and working on break games one and backhand returns. Do do you see tennis analytically as well? I mean, are you looking at match seats or are you saying, listen, I wish I could add two more miles to my wide serve to the deuce court? Or is this really stay in the realm of I just need to stay positive and stay confident?
1: It it just depends on where you're at. Does that make sense, by the way? Did that that question make
0: sense? It makes perfect sense. I understand
1: what you're saying. I mean, you have to figure out if it's uh – Mentally or physically, what's kind of holding you back at the time? For me, it's been more mental than physical. Um, there has been some things over my game that I have to continue to work on, but work ethic has never been a problem. Um, you know, my biggest problem, I guess, uh, the average person can relate to it as far as when you're playing golf and you get on a T-box and you really want to pipe a drive, as soon as you tighten up and try to rip it, you got no chance of controlling it. Right, and that's right. sort of, uh, tightness and feeling was what I was playing with. And as everyone who has ever tried to really, really swing a hard golf club knows, whenever you're not relaxed, you're, you're not going to be near as controlled or uh, able to get easy power. And if you imagine me out there playing with that sort of tenseness every day, day in and day out, that's where my ability wasn't reflective uh, at the time of what I felt like I was capable of.
0: Alright, last question. We've gone this far. Sean Payton played out?
1: <laughs> Sean Payton is a great coach. I'm very happy with Sean Payton. I hope, I hope we can keep him. Um, he's been a fantastic person for New Orleans and the community and the Saints. Um, we're lucky to have him and Drew Brees as the leaders of our team. And I'm, I'm inspirational and optimistic about the next upcoming season. I felt like we lost a lot of, lost a lot of close games this year. A couple things that we could have cleaned up on special teams, but I know that they're working hard to get that done. I'm looking forward to a Super Bowl run, um, and I just got to say that uh, John Isner's Panthers were pretty awful, and <laughs> the Cowboys, even though they made the finals.
0: That was like one year of lightning in a bottle, and then it was back to the old Panthers. Um, exactly. This uh, this was great. Go uh, go get on a plane. Go win some more matches. But uh, it's it's always a pleasure, and uh, happy happy we were able to do this. Let's do it again.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Hope to see you guys soon.
0: Tell that fiance to keep writing
1: i will
0: i will all right good luck thanks ryan
1: thanks bye-bye
0: all right that does it for this week good talk that was ryan harrison really enjoyed that always uh, a pleasure talking to him and uh appreciate the uh the candor we would expect nothing less from uh from a texan that was ryan harrison i'm john Wertheim, i'm the producer as always is jamie lasanti thanks everyone for listening feel free to keep the suggestions coming I'm on the road next week, but we'll try to do one of these in advance. And then we'll be in the desert in Indian Wells. So thanks for listening. That's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Ryan Harrison was a terrific guest. We'll do another one in seven days. Have a good week.